P. Fighting Blindness, number 112, autumn 2004. The newsletter of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. Your readers are Jerry Rust, Juliet Bullman, Mike Brown, and Jeff Strutt. In this issue, an editorial, the secretary's notes, a research update, notes on the 2004 AGM, the National Prize Draw 2004 results, and an advance notice of the 2005 AGM. Following is a series of articles entitled Calling for More Youth, Meet the Scientist Day, Welfare Notes, Cards and Prints, Retinal International and RAG Group. Finally, there is branch news and letters. BRPS is grateful to Lloyd's TSB PLC for sponsoring this newsletter. British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, registered charity number 271729. Honorary Secretary Mrs Linda Cantor, MBE, BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ. Telephone 01280-821-334 for office inquiries. Email info at brps.org.uk. Website is www.brps.org.uk. The welfare manager is Mrs Anne Fisher, 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, near Royston, Hearts, SG87RD. The telephone number is 01763 208045. The helpline number is 0845 1232354. Membership subscriptions, a single membership is £10. Subscriptions which are due on the 1st of January should be made out to BRPS and sent to the Secretary at BRPS PO Box 350, Buckingham MK18 1GZ. Any donations above the £10 subscription will be most welcome and received with grateful thanks. Braille copies, please contact the office if you need your newsletter in Braille. Whilst every effort is made to ensure the accuracy of all information printed, it is not always possible to check details on articles submitted, and whilst information shown to be inaccurate will be corrected, the Society cannot accept responsibility for errors. Editorial by Selwyn Higgins This could hold the record as the shortest editorial in my 21 years as editor, the reason being that there is so much to report on this year's AGM that I have had to make cuts in most of the articles submitted by members. So, in fairness, I have made similar cuts in the editorial. At times, progress towards our goal has seemed slow and laborious, but the light has shone through at times with encouraging breakthroughs. The first was perhaps the announcement in 1984 by Alan Wright and Shomi Bhattacharya of the discovery of a marker indicating the location of an RP gene. This was followed in 1989 by Peter Humphreys finding the first RP gene. Since then, there have been many gene discoveries and proof of principle on several potential treatments. At the AGM this year, Robin Alley announced the plans for the first UK trial of a gene therapy-based treatment. Can anyone now doubt that we shall reach our goal? We are fighting blindness with an excellent chance of success as we take our first step into the era of the trials. But there is still much hard work to be done. Don't relax just yet. Secretary's Notes by Linda Cantor I'm writing this between our AGM in London and my departure to Holland for the Retina International Congress. 
I would like to thank all those who were involved in any way with the AGM. It was a very successful meeting. All aspects of the talks were encouraging and informative. A comprehensive account of this day's events appears later in this newsletter. At the next trustees meeting, we will be joined by a new member of the board, Mr John Spence. John was born in Edinburgh and has been involved in banking for over 30 years. He is president of Enable, deputy chairman of business in the community, chairman of Blind in Business and senior warden of Chelmsford Cathedral. John has RP and is married with three children. I'm very pleased to be able to inform you that this newsletter is funded for the next year by Lloyd's TSB Foundation for England and Wales. BRPS trustee Sophie Montgomery put a lot of hard work into obtaining this grant. Research update. Last autumn we were able to announce that the Foundation Finding Blindness in USA, in collaboration with the Neurotech Company, had begun a Phase 1 trial of a treatment using CNTF which has been shown to protect retinal cells against degeneration. The trial involved the use of encapsulated cell technology to allow slow release of CNTF within the eye. The Phase 1 trial involves establishing that the treatment does not cause adverse reactions. Phase 1A, using a low dose, has been completed satisfactorily, and Phase 1B, using a higher dose, is now underway. It is expected that the Phase 1B trial will be completed by March 2005. If all is well, it is planned that a Phase 2 trial will begin shortly afterwards. This tests the effectiveness of the treatment and will involve about 150 patients. The AGM 2004 by Selwyn Higgins The 2004 AGM of the BRPS was held on the 19th of June at the Holiday Inn, Bloomsbury, London. This proved to be an excellent venue and all attendees seemed to be most comfortable in the surroundings. Our suite of rooms was on the ground floor, easily accessible, airy, spacious and well lit. The food provided for our reception and afternoon break was very good and we found the hotel staff very helpful. The event was again sponsored by Orange and we're most grateful to them for their support. Our thanks go also to Alan Foster, who put in so much effort to ensure that the event was such a success. The day began with the reception of attendees at 10.30am in the very comfortable lobby area that served the two main reception rooms allocated for our events. Throughout the morning, we were entertained to a delightful selection of background music played by Mark Pample on his electronic keyboard. There was an exhibition of a variety of equipment helpful to those with a visual impairment, and several of the exhibitors also gave talks during the morning to supplement their hands-on displays. There was also an opportunity to buy some of the excellent cards produced by Connie Cree and Edith Laying. The AGM proper began at 1.30 with the business session. Our chairman, Sir Alan Rudge, opened the meeting by thanking the visiting speakers on research and welfare who would contribute to the afternoon's proceedings and he also offered special thanks to Orange for their generous sponsorship of the event. After the introduction of the platform speakers, the minutes of the previous AGM were approved. During the year, the trustees approved three grants totalling £334,256. Sir Alan reported the appointment of two trustees, Dr Tidu Maney and John Spence. A profile of all trustees is given in the publication Who's Who in BRPS. 
Mireille Portlock was formally elected to the post of PR manager at the 2003 AGM. Details of the Society's management plan for each year are included in the Trustees' report. He reminded members of the Retina International meeting that takes place at the beginning of July in Holland. The year saw the appointment of Chloe Scapelhorn as our international youth representative, who will be encouraging young people to take an active part in BRPS. Sir Alan ended his introduction by thanking all those who gave so much time to helping our cause the management committee, the helpline workers, all of the branch officials and the many individuals who devote so much time and effort to achieving our objectives. He also thanked the small but dedicated team in our office, led by Kate Samwell and reported that Paul Netherton has now replaced Terry Penny as our database coordinator and Vivian Eldridge has replaced Yvonne Leonard, who retired in May. The Treasurer's Report was presented in an easily understood style by our Honorary Treasurer, George Thompson. Donations and legacies showed a decrease over the previous year of £99,573. On the other hand, branch and other fundraising, which contributes 45% of BRPS income, rose by £35,593 to £189,806. A magnificent effort by all those who worked to achieve this. Street collections brought in £53,156. Top of the list of street collections was again Hampshire with Somerset and North West close behind. He raised the suspicion that Hampshire was holding training sessions in highway robbery. The National Raffle, organised by Colin and Linda MacArthur, continues to make a major contribution. We received the first instalments on the Community Fund Grant, which totals £146,237 over a three-year period. Total income for the year was down by £51,151 to £401,135. George then went on to explain spending. By the end of December, we were funding grants which had an actual initial value of more than £2 million. Actual grant expenditure over the year was £202,815. A detailed breakdown is included in the trustees' report and accounts. Overall for the year, we had a surplus of income over expenditure of £7,936. At the end of the year, the net asset worth of the society was £276,669. The Society is in a satisfactory financial position and able to meet its commitments. The auditors were approved for a further year and George Thompson was given a vote of thanks for the very many hours of effort he puts into the maintaining of our accounts throughout the year. The Management Committee Chairman, Roger Green, reported on the requirement to elect persons to three posts on the Management Committee due to the existing holders having completed their three-year term. Roger gave an outline of each task and the following were elected. Fundraising, Colin MacArthur. Publications, Selwyn Higgins. And branch affairs, Chris Gash. Sir Alan then introduced Chloe Scapelhorn, our youth representative. Chloe is 21 and is currently at university. Her mother has RP and Chloe began fundraising for RP many years ago. Chloe stated that her aim is to gather together a group of young people both with RP or who support family members with RP 
Countries such as Germany and Sweden have very active youth groups. She has had considerable email correspondence with people interested in the youth group and seven people attended a meeting in London in March. She's currently developing a website which she hopes will generate more interest in inviting any young people present at the meeting to join her afterwards to discuss ideas. Sir Alan closed the business session by thanking various people for their help on the day. He complimented Mark Pample on providing background music during the reception that did not require you to shout whilst holding a conversation. Next year's AGM will take place in Bristol on the 18th of June and full details will be printed in relevant newsletters. Welfare session. Anne Fisher opened the session with an account of activities over the past year. Members were reminded that the helpline number has been changed to 0845 1232 354. She is endeavouring to hold meetings with all of the welfare contacts and is finding that telephone conferencing involving about five or six people at a time is proving popular and avoids the problem of travel to a particular venue. She expressed her thanks to those helping with welfare work and in particular the helpline team. She spoke highly of the help given by the Action for Blind People organisation and introduced her guest speaker, David Feast, who specialises in benefits. He began by stating that it was two years since he last spoke to BRPS and had hoped that by now it would be easier to claim for benefits. Instead, it has become more complicated, with far more rules than two years ago. Action for Blind People is a national organisation based in London, which covers four main areas of work. The first is support, which covers benefits and welfare rights. The second is a work team whose function is to help people to get into work. They also run three supportive employment factories. The third area is leisure, which includes the four AFB hotels. It also runs the Actionaires Club, which encourages young people to get involved in sport. The fourth area covers housing, providing some accommodation, but also helping people with moves from one area or type of accommodation to another. Mr Feast confined his talk for the afternoon to social security benefits, an area that is a minefield to those unfamiliar with the processes. He divided benefits into three kinds. One, contributory benefits such as incapacity benefit and pensions, areas where the recipient has previously worked and made contributions to the system. Two, means-tested benefits such as income support, housing benefit, working tax credit, council tax credit, etc. Non-means-tested benefits such as DLA and attendance allowance. He quoted several examples of actual cases dealt with, beginning with pension credit. Mr B, a blind pensioner, receives £79.60 per week plus a works pension of £20 per week. He has £10,000 in the bank. By claiming all the appropriate benefits, he could increase his £99.60 to £256.26 per week. Attendance allowance and DLA are often confused. Attendance allowance is for people over 65 and DLA is for those under 65. Most visually impaired people are eligible for the lower rate as they are assessed as not needing help during the night. DLA tends to be more generous due to its mobility component. He gave many examples of the pitfalls and wrong assumptions made when filling in application forms. You can claim for help that you need, e.g. reading, even though you are not actually receiving help in this area. AFB have just produced a leaflet called the DLA Completion Guide and this is available from their office. Mr Fees then moved on to the range of credits, an example of which is pension credit, which replaced income support for people over 60. You are now no longer penalised if you have a private pension. Working tax credits can be very beneficial. 
Take, for example, a single person working 28 hours per week, earning £150 gross. They would get around £50 per week in working tax credit. There followed a range of questions, typical of which were... Where can I get FP19 forms for free prescriptions? Usually from doctor surgeries, consent is not automatic, it depends on circumstances. Why do some people have difficulty getting higher rate mobility allowance? It is set out in law that sight loss does not in itself give sufficient grounds for the high rate. When the RNIB sells its Palm Court Hotel, will AFB take it on? I can't really answer that one. Research session. This was chaired by Professor John Marshall, who introduced his guest speaker, Professor Robin Alley. John reminded members of several amusing incidents from early AGMs and gave a brief history of progress over the past 25 years through finding the first gene, to finding other genes, to analysing the chemistry of the processes which they initiate and developing means of using this information to treat RP. At the forefront of this development work is Professor Robin Alley, our guest speaker, who has been working on gene therapy for 10 years. Professor Alley began by explaining that for the first five years he had been working on the basis of gene transfer to the eye and in the second five years his team had been establishing proof of principle by showing that gene therapy can work in living models. Humans are not the only living things affected by RP and there are several groups of animals that are RP sufferers. Most common amongst these are the RD mouse and certain breeds of dog. There has been considerable success in slowing sight loss and restoring sight in these animals. Following this success, we are now entering into a set of clinical trials. By their very nature, these have to take time. Members will recall that these pass through several phases. First, to establish that there is no damage to a human eye, and then to establish that there is verifiable and sustained benefit. Each of these phases must be spread over a long period in order to be sure that there is no long-term damage. Professor Ali explained that gene therapy was the introduction of genetic material for therapeutic purposes. It can either be to correct a gene defect, or it may be a means to ameliorate the effects of the condition. The introduction of this material is done by using a vector, brackets, a carrier, and the vectors that show most promise are modified viruses. Viruses are used because they are very efficient at entering cells and inside the cell they multiply. The vectors used are viruses that have had their own genes removed and replaced by the genes that we wish to carry into the eye. Work on the adeno-associated virus was reported in these columns five or six years ago and this is still the favourite vector. It has been shown time and again to be safe and efficient. Proof of principle. Dogs whose treatment began four years ago are now leading active lives. Gene therapy is still in the development stage, although it is not new. The first gene therapy treatment took place in 1990 to treat a child with an immune deficiency condition. Unfortunately, it was not successful because the vectors used then were not very efficient. In 2002, there was another attempt to treat a similar immune deficiency using modern vectors with greater success and this was repeated in 2003 on another child at Great Ormond Street. Although these treatments were not for RP, they lend considerable support to the case for RP, and it is particularly encouraging that the Great Ormond Street treatment was funded by the Department of Health. 
This particular condition was first because it lends itself well to gene therapy. The good news here is that the eye is probably just as amenable to such therapy. The number of gene therapists worldwide working on diseases of the eye increases every year. Gene therapy is now a reality. The prospects for RP are good. Proof of principle has been established. For example, the RDS mouse has a gene defect that results in a photoreceptor loss. By gene therapy, we have been able to restore structure and function to the photoreceptor cells in this mouse. Degeneration has been slowed in other rodents, which have a gene fault affecting their pigment epithelium. Perhaps the most famous case is that of Lancelot, the Briard dog in the USA, that in three years has progressed from blind to seeing very well. The trial in London, for which patients are already being screened, involves a very rapid form of RP, on RPE65, very similar to that which Lancelot inherited. It affects young children. The reason for choosing this condition is because it is very rapid and it will be possible to judge results within a very short time. In addition to screening patients, the team has, in conjunction with industry, begun the production of clinical grade vectors and it is planned that they will be ready to begin the trials on other types of RP which should be allowed to start if the RPE65 trial is successful. The results for the majority of RP patients will not be sudden. As explained before, these trials, by their very nature, have to take a long time, and the conditions selected first will be those showing most evidence of being amenable to treatment. Professor Ali hinted at five years being a reasonable period for this phase of the work. However, we know from past experience that once one breakthrough is made, it tends to have a cascade effect on developments, and many things begin to happen in parallel. Professor Marshall rounded off the talk by stressing the importance of the fact that at long last the government had agreed to fund a gene therapy trial, a trial that we had been working towards for 28 years. Added to this was the involvement of industry in producing the clinical grade vector. He thanked the members of BRPS who, by their dedication and sheer hard work, had pushed progress to this stage. He expressed the hope that not only would we be able to correct deterioration in eyes with failing sight, but that we would eventually be able to restore use to those cone cells in the central field, which remained structurally intact, even when sight had been lost. There followed a torrent of questions from a very enthusiastic audience. Can I volunteer as a guinea pig for a trial? Sorry, but it doesn't work like that. We have to select from a database patients whose details match the particular condition that we are working on, hence the need to establish screening centres so that the database can be expanded to cover genetic materials for every patient. How do you define a rare type of RP? In the trial that we are preparing for, we shall be dealing with a fault on RPE65, which has an incidence of known patients in single figures. However, this work will set the foundations for work on the more common types. For example, X-linked accounts for around 60% of non-dominant RP and most of the faults are on two genes, RP2 and RP3. When gene therapy is used, what is the potential for things going wrong? Perhaps the greatest concern is an inflammatory reaction. This is why trials have to follow such seemingly slow phases, checking every predictable fault. There is a very slight risk of tumour, but fortunately the eye is a region reasonably resistant to tumour formation. Will screening include families where there is only one member, and how will it be done? 
What will treatment involve? The first task is to set up the screening centres. Initially, the screening will concentrate on families with a history of RP, but will then spread so that it eventually includes everyone. Treatment will probably be by injection into the eye, but techniques have now been developed for AMD, where the injection is made around the back of the eye. When will screening start, and will we be told what type of RP we have? Screening has started on a research basis, but we need to move up a gear to a service base with dedicated centres. We are already considering an application from a group in the middle of the country, and we are hoping for a decision on that centre by the autumn. If people ask what their condition is, they will be told. Are you involved with any of the work on sleep disorders related to RP? St Thomas's has a department working on this, and Professor Marshall has worked on sleep disorders affecting RAF pilots. Many RP sufferers have problems with flashing lights, etc., but he is not working in this field. What is the involvement of tissue from bone marrow? This is related to stem cell research. You will recall that stem cells are cells still waiting to be allocated a proper job. They have been found to exist in many parts of the body. One of Professor Marshall's team has made stem cells form themselves into elongated cells that express rhodopsin, part way to being a man-made rod cell. Cells from bone marrow are adult stem cells, but also under consideration are those from embryonic tissue. What do the figures on rare RP conditions mean in relation to the known RP population? Not possible to give an exact figure, but probably under 1% of the RP population. And in conditions such as Leber's amaurosis, a severe form of childhood RP, the incidence is much lower than this. Do some RP sufferers have more than one defective gene? It is possible to have a defect in two genes, and this is called digenic inheritance. Will the large Moorfields database be made available to research workers? The database is confidential. Those with access are clinicians. Any release of information will be subject to ethical committee approval and peer review of the specific project. If there is a development in a particular field, the controllers of the database will contact likely patients to ask if they wish to avail themselves of the particular study. What timescales are involved in finding genes and what are the chances of finding other types? We started with one gene after many years' work, but the next year we saw several more, and this has been the pattern of escalation. We now know of over 100 gene defects, and some groups are still searching for genes. We have basically three groups of researchers. First, the gene hunters. Secondly, the groups investigating the chemistry of the genes found. And thirdly, the groups such as Robin Alley's working on potential therapies using this information. Once the first gene has been found, the process accelerated exponentially and there is every indication that this will be the pattern when the first therapy is developed. What are the chances for restoration of sight in those with advanced RP? We can consider four areas. Electronic implants, growth factors, stem cells and gene therapy. With regard to electronic implants, the prospects at first look exciting. For over 30 years, industry has been using scanning diode arrays as seeing devices, and these can now be made small enough to implant into retinas. The diodes in these arrays are now only 10 times the diameter of a rod cell. These are small enough to implant into a retina, and if they could be made to connect, they would produce a coarse picture. There are three problems. 
Firstly, the eye's protective system sets out to destroy the intruder. Secondly, they cause damage to the retina. And thirdly, no one has yet made meaningful connections to the brain. The optic nerve has over a million fibres, each carrying a signal, and each of the diodes in the array would need to connect in an ordered manner. Growth factors are chemicals that change the environment around the cells. It appears that as cells die, they kill adjacent cells by poisoning the environment around them. Growth factors can correct this, and some of these are now being produced commercially for introduction into the eye. These are being used to treat AMD. Stem cell use has shown some results in the treatment of spinal injuries, and it is being pursued as a potential longer-term RP treatment. The area offering great promise at present is gene therapy. We must not forget the fact that in eyes that have progressed to total blindness, although the rod cells are destroyed, the cone cells appear to be intact, except for their light-sensing portion, and for this reason are not working. They show potential for repair. As the cone cells appear to have just switched off, is it possible that at some time in the future you could use injection of growth factors that are now being produced commercially to restart the cone cells? At this stage we are not sure. In the early stages of childhood development there are genes that tell the cone cells to keep growing light-sensitive membranes. Another then takes over to tell it to make a few but destroy the old ones. In advanced RP, the destroying appears to have overtaken the making, but if we could find a way to use the first gene to tell the cell to start making again, we may have the answer to switching on the sleeping cone cells. On the other hand, it could be that the raw materials for making the light-sensitive membranes have run out. The first task is to find out precisely what makes cone cells stop functioning before we can take corrective action. It is a complex area that several groups are working on at present. At this point, with the platform speaker's hoarse and the clock working against us, it became necessary to call a halt. Our chairman, Sir Alan Rudge, closed the meeting by explaining the structure of BRPS and the function of the trustees. Their principal task is to manage and direct the resources of the society. Top of the list is strategy. If you look at what we have set out to achieve, the cost would be far beyond what we could hope to raise alone, but fortunately, we're not alone in the world. All over the world, people are concerned with finding treatments for genetic disorders. Our strategy has been to ensure that as that genetic world develops, there are people specialising in RP research. There are people around the world sharing research findings so that each group's contribution adds to the whole. A breakthrough in one place adds to the worldwide pool of knowledge. Our funding has enabled a very good base of RP research workers to be built up in this country and abroad. We're now placing great emphasis on the development of screening centres as a necessary next step in the progress towards treatments. But we are getting very close to therapies, but we must keep the ball rolling by providing the funding to sustain the research work. We rely so much on the work of branches and individual members to provide this support. We're in this together. We either have RP or a close relative with RP. But the reward that we all strive for is a treatment for RP. So Alan closed the meeting by thanking once again all those involved in making the day such a success. He then handed over to Colin and Linda MacArthur for the national prize draw, which this year raised a record amount. 
National Prize Draw 2004 Results. Here are the results of the draw made by Linda Cantor on Secretary BRPS at the BRPS AGM in London on the 19th of June 2004. Ticket number 21394, won by Mrs Matthews from Hertfordshire, wins a weekend for two in Paris, kindly donated by Harry Shaw City Cruiser. Ticket number 03566, won by Mrs Barr of Colorton, wins two tickets from Waterloo to Paris, Brussels or Lille, kindly donated by Eurostar. Ticket number 35107, won by Mrs Woodburn of Poole, wins Siemens Mobile Phone, kindly donated by Siemens Mobile and Siemens Care and Share Team. Ticket number 31290, won by S. Symes from Torquay, wins a VIP tour for four, kindly donated by Woburn. Ticket number 13479, won by Tara Gabriel from Wembley, wins a five-day return crossing Dover-Calais for car and up to nine passengers, kindly donated by P&O Ferries Limited. Ticket number 11481, won by Peter Lane, wins £30 of Whitbread vouchers. Ticket number 37799 is won by Sarah Byrne from Radlett and wins £20 of Harry Ramsden vouchers. And ticket number 38000, won by Mr and Mrs Carmen, wins £10 budget vouchers. A big thank you to everyone who bought or sold tickets. This year we broke all previous records with £13,476.50 of draw tickets sold. We had £1,058.63 expenses, postage and printing of tickets only. Thanks to you, we have been able to send a magnificent £12,417.87 to the research fund. This year we telephoned a number of you who didn't sell or return the tickets in previous years and I am pleased to say that this helped save postage for those who didn't want them and made more money for those who did. However, there were still a large number of you who did not sell or return the tickets this year. If you do not require prize draw tickets, please contact me on 01983 406 661 so that we do not waste the charity's resources in sending these out to you. Having been to the National AGM and Retina International's AGM in Holland recently, the research news is so positive that a treatment is within our grasp and we all have to play our part to raise the necessary funds to see this through. There are many ways to join in the fundraising. You could help your local branch. There are branches all around the country. If you are not sure of your nearest branch, contact head office on 01280 821334. If you wish to donate or know of somebody who could help RP Fighting Blindness, there are gift aid forms also at head office. Donating by this method means that the charity can claim tax back from the government if you are a taxpayer. We can increase sponsorship donation by 28% at no cost to the donor. All you need to do is ask sponsors, if they pay tax, to tick the gift aid box on the sponsor form and to use their initials and surname house number and postcode. If you have not yet thought about making your will, 
we have leaflets again at head office that will advise you how to bequeath your gift to the society. Congratulations to the latest branch to take part in Stride for Sight. London branch had a great turnout for their event at Regent's Park on the 20th June this year. Good luck to all those branches arranging a Stride for Sight this autumn. Once again, I would like to thank everybody who has taken part in the fundraising effort and urge that we all carry on the fight. This is the end of side one. Annual General Meeting 2005 by Alan Foster. Yes, I know it seems only a few weeks since our 2004 AGM in London, probably because it is only a few weeks ago. However, we've been looking at venues for the 2005 meeting and following the success of the previous visit to Bournemouth University, the University of the West of England, UWE, near Bristol, has been booked for Saturday the 18th of June 2005. When you have a diary for 2005, make a note in it of this date. UWE is close to the intersection of the M4 and M5 motorways for those who travel by car and close to Bristol Parkway Station for train travellers. The facilities include first-class lecture theatres for the AGM sessions and a lobby area for refreshments, the exhibition and meeting and greeting. There's a very pleasant dining area for lunchtime sandwiches or more substantial meals. There is also plenty of space for parking, dog walking or just a stroll in the fresh air. Full details with a programme and location maps, etc. will be included in later newsletters. In the meantime, could I thank the many people who were such a help in making arrangements for the 2004 AGM and particularly all the members who attended. I hope that the meeting was both interesting and enjoyable. Calling for More Youth by Chloe Scapelhorn. A tour of the Red Light District, a trip to a miniature Holland, a virtual cinema and a space centre were just a few of the delights that awaited myself and two other youth members from the UK when we arrived in the quiet and somewhat blustery seaside town of Nordvik. We were able to meet people from all over Europe, 
acting civilised within the light hours of the day, attending various talks and workshops, but when the sun went down we turned into party animals and shared experiences and interests in a more relaxed environment, i.e. the local bar. This is the purpose of the Retina International Youth Meetings. It is a chance to meet new people, make great friends and share experiences. For the first time at an international meeting, the presence of the British youth was somewhat prominent. However, I don't intend to stop at three. I want to take as many British youth as possible with me in 2005 to Rio de Janeiro. Please email me if you are between the ages of 16 and 35 and would like more information about the youth group or would just like to introduce yourself. That's at chloescapelhorn at hotmail.com. That's spelt Chloe, C-H-L-O-E, S-C-A-P-L-E-H-O-R-N, all one word. Meet the Scientist Day. There are still a few places available for this visit, in which members will tour the laboratories in Professor Bhattacharya's area next year. It will be an afternoon event between 2 and 4 p.m., the exact date has still to be set, but it will probably be in April or May 2005 and travelling expenses to London will be paid. If your branch has not selected a representative, there is still time. Welfare Notes by Anne Fisher Action for Blind People have a number of leaflets available on their employment services. Your work opportunities, information about the service that AFBP's employment development teams are able to offer both clients and employers... Is self-employment for you? Find out how their self-employment team can support visually impaired people to set up and develop a business. Blind Home Workers Scheme. This scheme, supported by local authorities, supports self-employed visually impaired people in London and the home counties. And Access to Work, a leaflet about this scheme, run by Job Centre Plus. The scheme provides advice and practical support for disabled people in or about to start work and also provides assistance to organisations that employ someone with a disability. WorkStep, which is a Job Centre Plus programme designed to help people with disabilities find sustainable work, either in supported employment or in an open mainstream employment. For more information, call Action for Blind People on 0800 915 4666 or 020 76354800 What's the difference between losing your sight aged 64 and aged 65? At least £15.55 per week. If you become disabled at age 65 or older, you can only claim attendance allowance AA rather than disability living allowance DLA. DLA contains a mobility component worth £15.55 for most blind and partially sighted people under 65. The costs of being mobile are much higher for someone with a sight problem, especially if you have to rely on taxis. Attendance allowance does not include a mobility component and also does not include a lower rate of care component. This discrimination is very out of date and is based on a time when being aged 65 was the end of your working life. RNIB has joined with Help the Aged and 20 other disability and older people's organisations to campaign on this issue. To support the campaign, please write to your MP or your local newspaper. They have draft letters if you need help. Contact the RNIB on their campaign hotline 020-7391-2123. The government has announced the details of an exception scheme for receiving benefit and pensions payments. 
Many blind and partially sighted people cannot use a keypad in their post office, the method of accessing a post office card account, or cannot get to their bank on a regular basis. The exception scheme means that cheques will be posted to you on a weekly basis. The cheques will be posted to arrive on the day your benefit is due and can be cashed at your local post office or paid in at a bank. Third-party collection arrangements are the same as for order books and gyro cheques. The scheme will begin in April 2005, assuming you haven't already changed a direct payment. If you don't think you can use either the bank account or post office card account, you should not change to the new system. When the Department of Work and Pensions contact you, explain that you wish to continue using your order book until April 2005, when you would like to be transferred to the exception scheme. Are there any young people out there who would like to talk about their experiences of living with RP with others of a similar age? Or maybe just to socialise with other young people, make new friends, learn, share information and support each other, all from the comfort of your own home. The RNIB offer a talk and support telephone service for external customers, which the RP Society can use for its own members. If there are any of you up to the age of 30 who would like to contact others of a similar age, please call Carol Holmes 01253 404194 or Anne Fisher 01763 who can arrange this service. Being a parent can be demanding and being a parent of a child with sight problems has its own additional special qualities and time demands. One simple way of having all the essential knowledge to hand is to join the new Telephone Parent Information and Discussion Groups offered by RNIB Talk and Support. The Department of Education and Skills support these telephone groups. Each telephone group runs for one hour a fortnight for four sessions. They cover subjects on issues around children with sight problems, such as leisure, play and education. The information has been developed using experts in each subject. One group is Making the Most of Education, which is for parents of children aged 10 to 15 years. Parents taking part in this group will find out about their child's rights for equal access to education and practical ways to support their child's learning. This is just one subject discussed, but parents say that just taking part is an opportunity to learn from each other and to offer support. Call the RNIB Talk and Support team to join a group on 0845 330 3723 or email talk and support or one word at rnib.org.uk. Further details are available at www.rnib.org.uk forward slash talk and support or one word. Cards and prints. Last year, a series of greetings cards produced by Pauline Clayton made a valuable contribution to BRPS income. This year, there's an additional option. There is a new range of greeting cards, see insert, but Pauline is also offering A4 size prints. The monochrome printing of our newsletter does not do full justice to the paintings, but if you're interested in purchasing prints, I'm sure Pauline would be happy to send you a coloured order form. Orders should be sent to Pauline Clayton, Style House, Hilltop Lane, Chinner Hill, Chinner, Oxon, OX394BH Blind Business Association This year the Blind Business Association, BBACT, celebrated its 10th anniversary at the House of Commons in London. 
The seeds of an idea for such an organisation were sown in 1988, following a meeting with the RNIB Small Businesses Unit, and in 1993, the BBA was formed. In 1994, it became a charitable trust with Sidney Callis as its chairman. Several of our BRPS members have received advice and support from the association, which aims to help blind and visually impaired people to set up a small business. Over the past 10 years, BBACT has helped over 300 VIPs to set up their own business and thus gain a considerable degree of independence. The Retina International Conference by Stephen Jones, BRPS Retina International Representative. The Retina International 13th World Congress, entitled Focus on Seeing, was held in the Netherlands on the 2nd and 3rd of July and was attended by about 550 people from all over the world. Many of the world's leading scientists, including our own Professor Bird from Moorfields, attended the event and gave presentations to the open sessions. Quite a few BRPS members made the trip across the North Sea and the general view seemed to be that our hosts, Retina Netherlands, had organised the Congress and social events very competently. A youth programme took place in parallel to the main Congress. This was attended by three BRPS youth members, including our international youth representative, Chloe Scapelhorn, who has written a separate sheet for the newsletter. Immediately prior to the Congress, there were two days of business sessions for the official delegates of the various national societies. Linda Cantor and Stephen Jones represented BRPS at the RI General Assembly. There are now 21 countries that are full members of RI, all of which attended the event, and another 20 countries are at various stages of preparation for full membership. It is always very gratifying to meet representatives from RP organisations in new member countries, and on this occasion we were able to welcome delegates from Iran and Hungary for the first time. As more patient groups develop around the world, not only are more RP sufferers supplied with information and support, but also in time, some of these countries may be able to develop their own research programmes and contribute to the worldwide goal of finding cures and treatments. As usual, the tone of the scientific presentation was very upbeat about progress in the laboratory, and now for the first time we received news that a number of clinical trials have started or are planned. We also received, hot off the press, good news that the EU has approved subject to contract negotiations, providing €10 million Euro to fund retinal research in several European countries, including the UK. Apart from the good research news, there is also the growing realisation that finding cures and treatments for RP in the laboratory is only the start of a long process that continues through enormously expensive clinical trials to various stages of government approval and the need to get pharmaceutical companies involved in the process of making treatments available to patients. Over the coming years we will hear much more on these subjects. For those of you who would like to plan ahead, the next RI Congress will be hosted by Retina Brazil in Rio de Janeiro in October 2006. To make the prospect even more enticing, the actual venue will be a hotel on Copacabana Beach. As ever, Retina International combines serious stuff about driving forward the research process and expanding the membership of RP societies, with wonderful opportunities to socialise with a fascinating mix of RP people from all around the globe. This certainly happened in the Netherlands, and I have no doubt at all that it will happen again in Rio. 
I hope to see you there. Rag Groups Weekend by Carol Richardson This was the second year that Nick and I had gone to Blackpool. As soon as we arrived on the Friday afternoon, we went to hear a useful talk about the Disability Discrimination Act given by Liz Waskett from the RNIB. We then had to stroll along the front before dinner, which was followed by a quiz. Saturday's agenda began by our choosing which group session we wanted to join. I stayed in the RP is a pain in the neck, but let's see how we can support each other group. Nick went for managing relationships. Not sure why, I manage ours very well. The other choices were the parent link group for those with children with RP or MD and friends and families where they could air their concerns or moans about living with someone with RP. All these groups are totally confidential and none are compulsory. The afternoon was the highlight. Dr Andrew Webster, who trained under Professor Bird at Moorfields, came to speak to us. He gave a general overview of the various types of RP and MD and the genetics of them and then took questions from the floor on anything related to the conditions. It could be personal or general. And there was always a straight answer, including, I don't know if necessary. Actually, I don't think it was. On Saturday evening, we were supposed to be left to our own devices, but somehow an auction was set up and our maestro, Mark Pample, played the piano for us. Sunday morning brought a talk from Michael Hope of Action for Blind People, a roundup of the weekend and farewells. The hotel rooms are very comfortable, the food was first class and the staff were efficient and helpful. For a very reasonable £90, we had two nights accommodation, two dinners, two breakfasts and a lunch. And do bear in mind that the bar is always open. Getting to Know All About You by Marie Portlock. Thank you to all who phoned me with comments and ideas following my article in the last magazine and those who contacted the office for car stickers. Please keep the ideas coming. Some are really good and I shall try to pass them on, hoping to get some response from the media. One caller suggested making a list of things that were particularly annoying. Cars parked on the pavement, bollards, etc. I'm sure we could make our own list. Hanging flower baskets dripping with water are on mine. How about writing a letter to the editor of your local newspaper or contacting the local radio, telling them how pleased you are about some positive aspects of your life in the area? Easier access to shops, special paving at pedestrian crossings, for instance, and then airing your concerns about other points, i.e. your own list. Here is your cue to explain about RP, what it means for sufferers, etc. The local radio might let you talk about your branch and its fundraising efforts. Keep sending me ideas. Good luck. Marie Portlock. That's 01572-823-225. Branch News. Coventry and District by Richard Bartlam. 2004 is bringing a host of wonderful memories as we celebrate our 25th year in style. On March the 6th, Professor John Marshall, accompanied by his wife Judith, visited the Stonebridge Manor Hotel in Coventry to give a well-attended talk on research, which sent the audience home with hope in their hearts. We thank you, John, for giving up your time, especially as you'd only just arrived back in the UK that very day. Then came June, the month of the beginning of the branch all those years ago. A social evening was held on June the 8th. Edwina Millis, who has been a committee member for 25 years, hosted a quiz night while we all sampled the celebration cake and drank a toast to our success in having raised 
£120,000 since we were formed in 1979. Then came the event that was to be the Coventry and District's most celebrated night ever. What a night Saturday, June the 19th turned out to be. 85 guests sat down to a four-course dinner at the Allersley Hotel in Coventry and were treated to the music of Roadhog, which kept everyone dancing until the wee hours, with some not falling onto bed until 3.30am, as most of us had booked rooms overnight. Our chairperson, Julie Norman, is the lady we must all thank for this momentous occasion, but Julie said it was her pleasure to organise such an event, as in her own words she remarked, Yes, we are a support group. Yes, we do fundraise for research. But above all, we offer friendship. And I say thank you for the friendship of so many over the years. It was lovely to have all three past chairmen at our celebrations. Ian Oliver, Howard Burgess and David Poole. Also, we wish to thank Harry Shaw Travel, a very good friend of RP, for donating a weekend break for two in Paris, which was drawn at the Allersley and raised £197. On October the 9th, another celebration will be taking place, thanks to Mireille Portlock, who has organised an autumn concert for piano and violin in Lidington's 14th Century Church in Uppingham, Rutland. Music performed by Barbara Penny and Joan Taylor. Tickets are £10, including a glass of wine, and are now on sale from Mireille on 01572 823225. Please come and join us and support RP Research. We have so many people to thank for swelling our funds through various fundraising activities. Our Santa sleigh ride, which we reported about in the spring issue of Fighting Blindness, raised a staggering £3,500, thanks to Tina and Brian White and the Wellsbourne and District Lions, who chose us as the charity to benefit, plus those very special friends of Tina, who gave up their time for two weeks to support RP. The Athenian Society of Leamington Spa also made us the beneficiary of £825 raised through a golf tournament thanks to Don Stanley, who made this possible by putting forward the name of RP. RP was also nominated by Kirsty Hughes to her colleagues at Unipart in Coventry, with £235 being handed over. They held a strip day for cash, but don't get too excited, as everyone who took part in the fun day was allowed to wear their favourite sports strip for the day. I'm told that another fun day by this crowd is taking place in July. So, thanks to everyone mentioned, £7,000 has already been sent to research this year. If you wish to know more about the Coventry and District branch, visit our revamped website, which has now been designed to be visually impaired friendly. Its address is www.the-eyesight.org. Eyesight is one word and spelled E-Y-E-S-I-T-E. Croydon Branch by Joan Recagna. Our last AGM, which was held on Saturday the 15th of May 2004, was very poorly attended. We have changed the venue of our meetings to the CVAB, Wellesley Road, Croydon, 
that is very accessible for buses, trains, trams and car parking for those who wish to come by car. Our next branch meeting will be on Saturday the 2nd of October 2004 at 2pm and our patron, Sue Arnold, will be attending. I do hope many of you will choose to come. Remember, if you are going shopping in the Whitgift Centre, literally just across the road, why not pop in at least for a free drink? We are collecting outside Sainsbury's in Wallington on Friday and Saturday the 24th and 25th of September 2004 from 9.30am until 5pm. If you can offer just one hour, that would be great. We need as many volunteers as possible, so please support us if you can. These collections bring in most of our revenue, which we donate towards research for a treatment or cure for RP. We also need someone to help us with the admin in our local office. If you know of anyone who might be interested, please ring Joan on 020-8660-8164 or Norman on 020-8672-5873. Dorset Branch by Janet Keane The branch emerged from its partial winter hibernation to hold a very informative annual general meeting on the 6th of March 2004, when both Professor Shomi Bhattacharya and Dr Reshma Patel gave us a most interesting talk on the latest research activities into RP. We have changed the venue for our AGM, Dortum Coffee Morning, as the Garland Road Day Centre has changed its usage and is no longer available to us on Saturdays. Our new venue, Four Ways at Constitution Hill, Pool, proved an excellent alternative. 23 members attended the AGM, which included a delicious lunch prepared by Linda Still. On Saturday 12th of June, our very own octogenarian Gladys Wells held yet another coffee morning at her charming home at Lichit Matravers. It was a beautiful day and in addition to the usual raffle and tombola, there were several interesting stalls and the delights of strawberry cream teas all taken in a beautiful cottage garden setting. We will be holding a branch social event on the 22nd of August at East Burton, near Wool. We will meet for a chat and afternoon tea prepared by the local Women's Institute and we all know the WI reputation for good teas. A newsletter containing information about this event has been sent to all Dorset members and we hope for a good turnout as last year's similar event was such a success. It is always interesting to meet other people who are affected by RP and of course the food and drink is an added bonus. We will be holding a branch draw at our autumn coffee morning that will be held on the 6th of November 2004 at Four Ways Pool. Tickets are available now. Our coffee morning is being held later this year as we hope some of our members will be attending the 25th Hampshire branch meeting, our near neighbours. This will be in October so we didn't want to clash. Fundraising also continues with our programme of collections, new helpers always welcome. Hampshire branch by Steve Harris. Our street collection season for 2004 has started well, with successful events in Newbury and Southampton in May and Winchester in July. These have raised more than £3,000 between them, so many thanks to all who were involved. Our collection in Winchester coincided with the annual Hat Fair, so the city was alive with people enjoying the antics of the many and varied street entertainers. We now have three collections remaining on the somewhat curtailed Canada, these being at Romsey on the 25th of September, at the Marks and Spencer Sainsbury Superstores at Hedge End on the 13th of November, and at the Asda Superstore at Totten on the 27th of November. 
we would like to put a big effort into these collections, especially at Romsey, which will be our Retina Week event. So if you are able to help in any way, then please contact Michael on 023 8073 2141. Our 25th annual general meeting is now looming large. Taking place on Saturday the 16th of October in Winchester, we have invited Professor John Marshall and Professor Shomi Bhattacharya to speak at the meeting, and Linda Cantor will also be with us. This will obviously be a very special event, so we hope that you will all come along and join the celebrations. If you would like to come from outside Hampshire branch, you will be made very welcome, and details can be obtained from Adrienne on 023 8047 6894. Hearts and Beds Branch by John Westwood. A most welcome total of 32 people were counted at our recent AGM at the Wayside Centre Potter's Bar. Seven of these attended at our first meeting here 28 years ago. Since there were no new nominations for election, the existing officers and committee were re elected for another year. Chairman Kate Fortnum and Treasurer Fred Foley both thanked members and friends for their many and varied fundraising activities that enabled us to send large amounts to the research fund. Nicky and John Addison, family and friends, did a collection at Safeways, Welling Garden City, and raised £925. Family and friends contributed a further £275, bringing the total to £1,200. CRF Health has very generously allowed Alison Madge to convert a prize she won in a competition they held to a donation of £635 for BRPS. CRF Health is a leading software solution provider for the clinical trial and pharmaceutical industry. Using Palm Pilots, they collect data electronically from patients participating in clinical trials. This replaces paper diaries that were bulky, difficult to use and understand. Their software has been used to collect data from patients of all ages and in the vast majority of disease conditions, from cardiac disease to cancer studies. In addition to the above, Alison has donated £73 she raised by making and selling greetings cards to her friends and family. Anne Bateman again acted as masseuse at the London Marathon and with her RP tin collected £177. Our annual collection by just four members outside the small group of shops at Marshallswick raised £204. A larger scale collection will take place at the Luton Arndale Centre on the 23rd of October. Well done to everyone. Yorkshire Branch by Mary Horsey The Branch Stride for Sight will be taking place in Bridlington on Saturday the 25th of September. The walk will commence at the south end of the promenade in Bridlington. It will go past the harbour and continue to the north end of the promenade, a return distance of approximately four miles. For the more fit walkers, they could continue on to Sewerby, an extra two miles. There is a train along the promenade for anyone only able to walk one way. We shall meet at the field car park at Belvedere Boat Compound. This is by the sea and very pleasant for a picnic. Details of how to get there will be given when you contact either David or myself for sponsor forms. The forms are available from David Stevens on 01482 856 040 or from myself on mobile telephone 
0781419098. I will have moved house, but do not yet have my new telephone number. There was an excellent response last year with the Humber Bridge Walk, and we hope to be able to achieve the same this year. Bridlington is a very pleasant seaside town and an ideal venue for a day's outing or for a weekend, so please come and join us. There have been several new fundraising events in addition to our usual collections. A two-day collection in Doncaster, arranged by Maureen Holt, raised £1,100. Peter Thompson completed his year as captain of Elland Golf Club and having made BRPS his charity, raised a further £725 to add to the money raised by his marathon rounds of golf last summer. A two-day event at Rocky's Ranch, organised by Rocky Howard, and collections at two branches of Sainsbury's in Sheffield, arranged by David and Lorna White, have also taken place. Thank you to all involved for your efforts and for the excellent results. Letters From Dr W.T. White, Upper Gravenhurst, Bedfordshire Having recently undergone a cataract operation that has restored a useful amount of central vision, I'm writing to advise all RP sufferers to have an annual optical examination. In my case, having been a general practitioner, I put down my failing eyesight as due to RP, for which nothing could be done. Realisation came from my son, who is also an RP sufferer, stating that his ophthalmologist had detected early changes in his lens and that RP sufferers are more likely to develop cataracts. Removal of my cataract has revealed that I still have some useful retina left, even though I'm 76 years old. From Valerie and Vanessa Hale, Ledbury Hearts. We contacted you some months ago to say that I would be running in the 2004 London Marathon and would be raising money for BRPS as my mother-in-law Valerie is a sufferer of RP. I am pleased to say that I completed the 26.2 miles and ran all the way. It has taken the family a while to collect all of the pledges but we are now in a position to send you the sponsorship forms and final sum raised of £1,639.10p. As the pledges rolled in I did start to feel the pressure and worry if I had done enough training. Having watched the race many times on TV and seen the crowds of runners and supporters, I thought I knew what to expect, but I've never experienced a day like it. My spirits were slightly dampened by the weather when we set out at a very early hour on Sunday the 18th of April, but by the start of the race, the support from the cheering crowds lifted my spirits. The support continued en route and kept me going all the way to the mall, and boy did I need the cheers by mile 22. I achieved my two goals, to enjoy the day and overtake a womble. Now for the technical bit. I completed the race in 4 hours, 4 minutes and 52 seconds and finished 12,319th out of 31,796 runners. Out of the 8,441 women running, I came 1,841st. I was more than happy with these results for a first attempt. Even before I had secured my place in the marathon, I said I would raise money for BRPS as, although there are many good causes out there needing financial support, I wanted to raise money for a smaller charity and one that was close to home. It has been a great opportunity to raise awareness and understanding of RP amongst our family and friends and has given Val comfort that everyone can finally appreciate what she is living with. A photograph shows Val and myself. Letter from Jenny Farmer, Brockworth, Gloucester. 
I'm writing on behalf of my son, who has RP, to thank you for the article about working tax credit. After reading about it, I rang the number to apply on his behalf. I have just had confirmation that he is entitled to £209.93 monthly and back pay of over £1,000. Unfortunately, he's been made redundant from his work and finishes next month, so will be unable to claim then. He is waiting to go to Hereford College for the Blind for an assessment and hopefully will find work once this has been done. He is now 36 years old and has been in the same job since he was 19. Thank you for the advice and an excellent newsletter. And more advice. From Margaret Walmsley, Coppenhall, Cheshire. I'm wondering how many readers know that blind people can claim an extra £1,560 tax allowance for the year 2004 to 2005. I'm quite aware that a lot of people don't need this allowance because of very low income, but there must be some of you who could use it to cut down your tax bill. To claim it, you must tell your local tax office and produce proof of blindness to them by means of a card that you were given by your local social services when you were first registered blind. Partially sighted people can't get this allowance. You must renew your claim every year, otherwise you will lose it. And from Mrs J.M. McClellan, Shefford, Beds. I am writing on behalf of Mrs Marjorie Robinson, a registered RP sufferer, who unfortunately lost her husband unexpectedly in late December. Mrs Robinson requested that friends and colleagues make donations to the BRPS as a tribute to the late Mr Robinson, instead of floral and other contributions. I am pleased to attach cheques to the value of £170 in favour of BRPS. The next newsletter. Items for inclusion in the next newsletter, winter 2004, must be with the editor by the 10th of October 2004. The editor's address, Mr S. D. Higgins, 54 Paddock Road, Newbury, Berkshire. RG147DG And this is the end of the newsletter. Mm-hmm.